and welcome to this edition of Secure Networks, the Index Packet Forensic Files with your host, Michael Morris. This week's special guest is Paul Giorgi, CTO for Defy Security. Paul, welcome. Thank you for joining. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, so I'm Paul Giorgi. I live in Columbus, Ohio. Um, CTO and co-founder of Defy Security, who's a information security solutions provider. We work with our customers who um, kind of mostly within the financial healthcare market focus on um, finding the right cybersecurity solutions. So we use our tools like Defy Labs and stuff to be able to test and evaluate different solutions and make sure that the customers feel confident they're getting a solution that really fits their specific needs um, and kind of aligns with uh, their, their business drivers. Excellent. Well, again, thanks for taking a little time with us. And uh, as you described, your company provides a, a variety of expert security consulting services for your clients. But in talking with you, I know one area you really focus on or that's growing for you is the area of automation and orchestration. Why are you seeing so much demand in that area? Yeah, this was, I mean, SOAR is kind of a newer area. So the whole security orchestration automation is getting a, a lot of attention because it addresses a bunch of key areas. The, the first one, and whether you believe this or not, is kind of up for uh, a discussion. But there's a lot of people saying, hey, we have a negative unemployment rate in the security industry. We've got all these open head counts. We can't address all of our responses that we need to um, with just the talent we have, nor is it scalable with the amount that we see increasing every time. Um, pretty soon every organization will have more security analysts than they'll have actual real workers. So the idea is being able to automate a lot of that first tier initial response, maybe pull in less of the managed services um, responses that SOC analysts are used to, and just do them from automated responses. Um, also, faster response times, if you look at every report, mm -hmm. the amount of time it takes us to investigate and respond um, is pretty abysmal. So um, anything really uh, can, can help there. Um, so if you can even get down to um, within a few weeks of a response time, I think that that's a pretty impressive statistic. And orchestration is a real key component to be able to do that. Um, and then the last one is... There are a lot of things that go into investigating incidences um, correctly and maturely. And I think what happens is, depending on what analyst you're working with, whether you're working with a junior analyst or senior analyst, every one of them will respond to things differently. They might pick up something and they might use a different tool. Another person will pick up another artifact and run with it a different direction. And that causes a lot of confusion whenever there is the, the need to escalate an incident um, as the tier two, tier three team, or maybe it turns into a legal response. Um, not having all of the same artifacts or even the same um, thought put into how all those responses happen it is difficult for organizations to respond to once you get past the analyst perspective. So being able to say, hey, we know this is a phishing incident. I can tell you exactly the steps that we ran through. I can tell you exactly the artifacts collected, regardless of if it was Mr. Junior Analyst who started last week um, or the guy who's been here for 15 years and can probably type this whole entire thing uh, oh. verbatim without any tools. So um, all of those things are addressed by secu security orchestration response tools. And I think that that's really driving the demand for it. And that's why we see so much interest in this because I think there's not a customer that we have at Defy that doesn't have one of those main needs. So yeah. while a lot of people are looking at shiny tools to address other kind of new things, these are all areas that are things that every customer is experiencing, whether it's a negative, a negative employment rate, the consistent mature response, um, faster response times. Those are all things that everyone can uh, sympathize with. Yeah. Well, one of the points, I talk to a lot of industry experts and SecOps managers and customers myself, 
And there's lots of different data points, but but I'm hearing an average SOC can try and work through anywhere between 7,000 and 10,000 alarms a day. Yeah. And they have varying size teams between two and SOC, 10 uh, SOC analysts. You boil all that down, that's, that's trying to resolve up to as many as two alarms per minute, which is just not realistic, right? All day yeah. long, that's, that's not going to happen. Uh, so it totally reinforces the point on, on the demands you talked about. But how do these teams that are so overloaded take the time to learn and implement a source solution? And where do they start? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of strategies. Um, uh, and, and I think one that I've seen really successful that I've seen adopt is every, I mean, call it every quarter, we'll just be kind of a little bit, um, uh, we'll just say every quarter, a new tool is introduced to a SOC team. Instead of giving them access to the tool and teaching them how to use the tool, onboard it within the source solution. And even if you're just interfacing with a specific action, just for an investigation within the source tool, you're not running a full playbook. You're mm-hmm. saying, hey, I need to give me the info on this IP address. And then that, that SOAR tool integrates with this new tip platform you use, whether it's Anomaly or Threat Quotient, whatever that tip tool is. Don't give the SOC analyst direct access to Anomaly or Threat Quotient, whatever the tip tool is. Give them the tool and the capability and onboard that new solution within the SOAR tool. That way they know, hey, we've got this new solution. This is how I do it. I'm going to go ahead and run this little action within my uh, whatever DBOT or whatever we want to call it, the tool is within the orchestration tool. And then that enables the team to be able to say, this is how I employ the functionality of this new tool that we invested in. And then you put those pieces together. Now the next tool that comes out, hey, look, I can connect these two actions together within a playbook. So start small and then moving uh, forward, you can be able to put those pieces together. So just enabling them to use those new tools um, through that. So I've seen blocking domains being a really easy one, Um, grabbing an artifact from an endpoint, looking up threat responses are really good ways to onboard the SOAR tool with a simple action that just empowers an analyst um, with this new capability that they, they didn't do before. They, they, they think it's the SOAR tool doing it, but really it's the integration that's happening behind the scenes there that's enabling them to do that. So that's usually the way I, I suggest organizations to start. Uh, to start. I think we've seen a lot of other customers kind of struggle with, hey, let me give you the binder of all of our playbooks and we just bought the source solution. Let's go ahead and implement these. I don't think that's a really good way to do it. It's just you're really going to overwhelm everybody with a lot of change. But if you start small, enable new, new capabilities through the SOAR tool with those little things like blocking a domain or grabbing an artifact from an endpoint, it's a really good way to kind of baby step your way into a, a full mature playbook without just kind of addressing the whole entire stack of binders that you have full of those, those right. manual playbooks. That's, that's excellent insight on that. But you kind of hit a little bit. My next question, what are the biggest mistakes people are doing that start down the path of adopting a source strategy? Yeah, I think it's easy to just say, the SOAR tool doesn't work or it's not the right fit for us. I mean, SOAR tools have only been around for the last couple of years. I think like with the introduction like Phantom and Domesto, we start to say like, hey, we see now mature solutions. Um, There's a ton of other ones out there. So I would say that these aren't solutions that are science projects like they were three or four years ago. Mm -hmm. But what we're seeing is customers blaming it on, 
oh, well, this is a newer space. This wasn't the right tool for us. Let's go ahead and rip out Phantom and put in swim lanes. And now we're going to try swim lanes. And now we're going to switch to DF Labs. And now we're going to like, what happens is when you run into something that doesn't exist out of box, whether it's a specific API integration, whether it's maybe it's just even the default playbook, maybe like, hey, I want a phishing response. And then you see that that playbook doesn't exist exactly how you expect it to be in your environment. People are quick to just give up because, oh, well, the SOAR tool can't do it. These are meant to be environments for you to be able to develop to your own needs. Every single SOAR solution out there is tailorable. And the organizations that develop them are asking customers, like, we want to develop more towards you. So work with the um, whatever the SOAR solution that you're working with and say, hey, this action doesn't exist. I need it to run this playbook. Can you help me integrate it? And 99% of the times are going to say, yes, thank you for reaching out. We just needed some reason for us to develop this because customers haven't been asking for it. So I think well, you asked like what the biggest mistake is. I think that they're just easy to just say, hey, this doesn't exist. We got to pull the cord on this and uh, find another solution because it, solution X, we tried it. It didn't work. But let's try solution Y because we think now that's going to have the out-of-box functionality. And I'm just giving you the answer right now. <laughs> there is not a single solution out there from a store that's going to have every single integration that you want out of the box or the exact playbook that you want. It's going to take some custom uh, work. And it's not as bad as it was a few years ago where you had to learn Python to be able to work within these SOAR uh, platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need that that much anymore, but you do at least need to work with the manufacturer, the vendor, and say, hey, this doesn't work. This doesn't exist. Um, can you help me with that so I can use this tool to the, to the best of the functionality to align with my business needs? And that's, I think that that's the biggest mistake I see people make. Yeah, no, the more we work with uh, SOAR platforms, the customizability and the... yeah. The intricacies of working with it is is it's eye opening, but it, it takes it takes some patience and more of a developer mindset. So I completely yeah. agree with you. Yeah. So you mentioned start small. Um, what are some other best practices that you recommend SecOps teams do to to really start gaining traction out of a SOAR platform? Yeah, I've I've found that. A lot of analysts are hesitant to adopt SOAR platforms. For whatever reason, I think a lot of them think that, oh, this is the the, the AI that's going to replace my job. Um, hey, no one can do this as good as I can. Hey, there's a human element and understanding what was going on. And all of those things, uh, the, the, those are really good discussion topics. But I think what really needs to understand is this is going to make you a better analyst. And um, what I've seen happen a couple of times, and I've been calling it internally the John Henry challenge. Uh, you think John Henry, the guy who's kind of like pounding the, the nails into the, to the railroad tracks, and he's trying to beat this machine that's out there and prove that humans are better than the machines, <laughs> call the John Henry challenge because... I've seen organizations find the, the sore champion and he's usually like a sock analyst or something more of the mature kind of like, Hey, he's more of like a senior person, but get him to the point And every week, try to have some sort of challenge. Like, Hey, the, the sore platform responded to X number of events and the whole entire sock team responded to this number of events. So kind of make a game out of it, but do it in a way that doesn't make your sock, your sock team feel inferior or feel like they're John Henry dying of a heart attack at the end of pounding that last nail, whatever it is that I, I think that there's a good way to positively enforce the SOAR tool as an enabler to make your team better. Um, and that's kind of one of the, the, the main things that I see driving the, the good adoption of it. The other one is 
it opens up a whole bunch of metrics that organizations really have struggled to find before. Okay. Um, being able, like mean time to respond, mean time to uh, investigate, all of these things, you, you, these are like the holy grail of metrics for security teams because it allows you to get budget. It allows you to understand if you're getting better as a team. Um, trying to grab those before with your typical case management tools, um, either it was embarrassing or it was hard. <laughs> and it was either one of the other, right. it, it was one or the other, there was no other uh, way around it. So I think being able to now empower your SOC team to like, right. look at where we were last month, look at how much faster we we're going. So being able to use that SOC tool to now investigate to more incidents, to do them faster and to make you feel um, just like your SOC team is doing much better than they were and continually empowered and continually getting better is a good way to kind of make sure that you implement as a best practice for the SecOps right. team. I, I love that John Henry example. I'm going to have to use that with some <laughs> other folks there. So what are some examples, uh, example use cases you see most easily addressed, maybe some that everybody's experiencing um, that are just with SOAR platforms that can really make a SecOps team more efficient and more effective. Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of them. And I think that most of the time, like at Defy, most of the time we say, okay, what do you want out of a SOAR platform? What incidences are you responding to the most? And then we try to say like, hey, like this, this, this SOAR tool will help you with it. There are incidents where customers try to have this complex situation and you're like, that, that's not going to be really good for you. Let's pick an easier one. And most of the time they start with the easier ones because those are the ones that are most noisiest. Luckily, the, the ones that are most noisiest are usually the easy to respond to. Um, but um, the, the ones that easy that we see uh, easy with a ton of out-of-box playbooks and stuff, um, phishing. Phishing is so easy. I mean, mo you, you mentioned seven to 10,000 events per, uh, per day. I would probably say uh, if it's 7,000 events per day, 600 or 6,995 of them are phishing alerts. So the majority of the incidents that are, are being brought to the security teams are phishing incidents. So and those are so easy to respond to because most of the time, uh, uh, if um, you have an organization and there's a phishing incident that happens, a lot of um, the, the uh, employees are going to have the same incident that we're going to respond to. They're all forwarding to that same phishing at whatever the org is, .com or whatever. And they're all responding to the same thing. If you can just run through an automated playbook to take all the URLs, figure out, hey, are they resolving anything bad? Hey, is there any attachments? Are those bad? And being able to respond within a few seconds to the person who sent it saying, hey, thank you for responding. Just to let you know, it was a phishing email and we reported it. Thank you for your contribution. This makes the fourth phishing email that you've caught this week. Being able to kind of put those type of metrics together, it really increases the, the validity of the phishing responses, the response capability of phishing in an organization. So that one, that one's a no-brainer. Start with that one. It's super easy and there's so much out-of-the-box material for you to do. The other ones that I feel like are kind of a, a close second and third underneath it, provisioning users, it's a complex situation and organizations are struggling with this um, because there's access to so many different things. If you can even take a small niche and say, or a business unit and say, hey, for these business units, we're going to provision their, their six or seven user accounts or deprovision their six or seven user accounts with a push of a button, that's a really easy one too. Malware response. Um, another one that I keep seeing a lot of, um, we actually had a customer buy um, a SOAR platform alongside an IPS solution because 
as we were going through all the POCs for IPS, uh, they're like, there's so many alarms that go off. And just the data that comes from the IPS alert isn't enough to enable my SOC team to respond correctly to it. I need something to enrich and kind of do that first. I mean, it's not level one triage. It's like level 0.5 triage. We are saying, hey, let's go ahead and kind of get some little information about this alert before even giving it that level one designation. So being able to say, hey, there was a SQL injection attack, but it was tied to this application, correlated with other event, run by this other user, interacted with this database, and grabbing all of those different pieces into the incident. That way, when that level one SOC analyst is investigating it, it's just not noise to him. He actually has data that he can use yeah. to be able to say, hey, I can respond to this correctly instead of just some random SQL injection attack uh, that, that they, they really can't do anything with. So like I said, that customer saw the need during the POC and said, this solution is great, but I can't use it in this data that it's in. I need a SOAR platform to buy at the same time, and we're going to roll them both out at the same time. And then being able to, right off the bat, say, I'm going to now do packet capture right on top of those IPS alerts, and then correlate those two to be able to say, not only do you have the IPS alert, you've got the packet capture, and here's all the enriched data, and that be the first starting point for the analyst. It, it's a game changer for them when it comes to those type of alerts. Interesting. Okay, great. What's one thing you caution folks not to do when implementing a store platform? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. There's, there, um, I think that there's a lot of kind of um, I don't know. I'll pick one. So there, there's one that I, I always, it's a red flag for me when a customer is saying, Hey, we've had three open head counts for the last six months. We can't find anybody. We're going to take the money that we had for those open head counts and use it to buy a SOAR platform. And now we're going to get rid of those FTEs. And now we're just going to use that money like that. That's a big red flag because what's happening is the SOC team is already overworked, trying to onboard a tool at the same time. They're going to get very upset at the idea that they just lost like, hey, I know that that was the cube next to me. That person now is now a tool. Now they're just expecting me to work twice as hard with this tool that they've given me. It's an immediate red flag for any new SOAR deployment. And unfortunately, it is something that a lot of times um, salespeople or kind of executive conversations use that as a strategy. Like, hey, I know that you're having troubles trying to find those positions. Why don't we take that money and allocate it to be able to make me make quota? But I think it's a horrible way for um, a, a, a new store tool to get implemented into an organization because it, it really sets it up for, for failure. And I think what you should really do is kind of address it a, a different way, like the, the areas that I mentioned. But there's so many other kind of cautionary tales that uh, it would probably have to turn into a three or four hour <laughs> long conversation, but we'll just stick with that one. I think that that's a pretty common red flag. No, that, that's a great one. That's uh, and I could see that happening too, right? Cause yeah. budgets are limited. Yeah. Um, what are some key components of an effective SOAR architecture? I mean, obviously you got to pick the SOAR platform and have, yeah, how it integrates with your tools, but uh, are there other underlying components that you think got to be in the mix? Yeah, I mean, there's some foundational stuff like, hey, are we going to adopt a SaaS strategy? Or are we going to deploy it on-prem? Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's a lot of those type of questions. Uh, who's going to have rights to be able to log into it? Um, I think the, the if we're talking like the most important component of an effective SOAR architecture, I think would be the integrations. Um, and I think that too often I see organizations just grab, uh, all right, we've got Palo Alto, we've got CrowdStrike, let's just grab all of the global rights API keys and plug them in. 
And then what happens is our back or, or role-based access control just flies out the window because now everybody has rights to everything because right. of that API key. So I think being able to think through, these are the actions that are being run. These are the integrations we have. We need an API key that runs with these type of capabilities, but not above that. So the whole least privilege thing, I think that we really haven't thought through that maturity of saying, hey, it, I've been using least privilege for my user accounts, but when it comes to the store platform, I just gave it the highest API access, not realizing that when those analysts are logging in, now they have capability to do things that maybe even their own user account couldn't have done. So I think um, an effective SOAR architecture just really takes into account for API permissions. And there are some SOAR platforms that even give you the ability to act as that enforcement. So you give it a global admin key, but then you can say, hey, this SOAR analyst can only do these type of API calls. But this one, because they're part of this group, has the ability to kind of do something a little bit higher. So um, if, if your SOAR solution does have that capability, make sure to take advantage of it because it, it does have a, a tendency to kind of open itself up for abuse um, because of those, those permissions and that kind of that, that way that I see a lot of organizations just implement the integrations. Oh, that's, that's a great insight. Uh, and until you've implemented several, you probably, <laughs> probably haven't run across that. Yeah. Um, what do you recommend? You know, one th question I always like to close with when I'm talking to industry experts like yourself, what do you recommend our listeners think about or look out for over the next six to 18 months when it comes to SOAR and network security? Um, I mean, it's a, a big question. I think like when it's SOAR specifically, like what do I, what do I see? What do I think yeah. that they should lock out for? I think we're going to see um, a lot more AI engines getting plugged into SOAR platforms. Right now, pretty much every playbook is, it's that flow chart where if this happens, then do that. We're going to start seeing AI play a role into that where it's going to be able to kind of understand a little bit more about the context of things and not necessarily just the logic chart that's going on. So, hey, we see this user runs into this all the time. So we're going to go ahead and take another another route because um, this person has this happen. Or hey, this person belongs to an associated peer group of other people who do the same side of sort of thing all the time. So we're going to go ahead and deviate from our standard playbook and not be so stringent. I think uh, while I hate the AI and machine learning buzzwords that are always coming up, expect them to be part of the SOAR platforms. I mean, if we, if we have, if we're lucky enough to have an RSA for 2021 where we were walking the vendor booth and uh, you see that type of stuff, expect to see SOAR platforms starting to integrate the, uh, the AI machine learning components to, to deviate from just that, that very specific if then else kind of logic right. and then start to actually start having some smarts into it. You'll also see a lot of, um, a lot of solutions integrating um, SOAR platforms directly into um, themselves. So if you've seen kind of the acquisitions of SOAR solutions, it's kind of becoming a part of SIM. So I would expect to see you being right within your, your SIM platform um, and then being able to run a playbook directly from that platform without jumping to a case management tool, without having to launch some sort of investigation through some sort of other external um, playbook management. Um, being able to embed that is not that hard. And now that most of the main uh, SIM players out there have some sort of SOAR right. platform that they've acquired, it would just make sense that it's not going to be a separate solution. It's just going to be an activated module license that allows 
actions to happen directly from the incidents that they're creating. So if it's a notable event in Splunk or some offense that gets pulled up in QRadar, those are going to have, hey, this falls into this category, so I'm mm-hmm. going to run this little mini playbook for you to handle right. that, that IPS event, that, that IPS alert example that I gave. We're going to start seeing SIM solutions say, hey, this came from an IPS event. Let me run like the enrichment playbook for you, and that's just going to be built in right, right within there. We're going to see a lot of those type of um, enhancements coming. So, I mean, that, if I had to guess, that's where I would say like the next six to 18 months of SOAR would be. Yeah, no, that's tremendous insights and completely agree with the tying of the AI and the Sims together with the yeah. orchestration piece. Um, I definitely see that trend myself as well. So, cool. Paul, thank you for taking a little bit of time out of your busy yeah. schedule and sharing. Well, it's your good talking with you. Um, we, we certainly thank you and learned a lot in how to better secure networks and implement automation. So we ask our listeners to tune in next time for another edition of the Endace Packet Forensic Files. For more information about Endace's network packet capture platform and our integrations with our Fusion Technology partners, please go to endace.com. Paul, again, thanks for joining. Thanks for sharing. And have a great day. Thanks.